Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. I'm your host, Jay Ewing. I reside mostly on the Erie campus. So good to be with you today on The Weekly. Thanks for tuning in to all our faithful friends. Blessings. We have officially arrived into winter, and it isn't even Thanksgiving. What do you think, Thomas? You think it's winter? Yesterday felt like it. I, I did not know it was going to snow. Did you? <laughs> no. I had no idea. No clue. I woke up. Oh. Wow. Which I kind of liked. I thought, you know, this is how most of humanity probably lived. <laughs> for about, yeah, for up until the last hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like, I don't even look out the window to know what the weather's like. <laughs> I just look at my app. I just say, <laughs> hey Siri. Yeah. And it comes. Yeah. It's funny, huh? Oh, well, there goes my cereal. <laughs> every, every device I have, it's like, what do you want? What do you want, Mr. J? So, yeah, we are in the transition period, yes, for sure. Yeah. But it's, like, glorious today. It is glorious today. This is why Colorado winter is the best. It is the best, because it is bluebird days. Oh, so, so good. many bluebird days. Yeah. Hey, friend, um, how was your weekend? It was good. Yeah? I can't remember all that happened. I'm sure you can't. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it was. You've had a lot of sleeps <laughs> between here and there. <laughs> you ready for Thanksgiving? Not yet, but we have. We're gonna be hosting some folks. Okay, great. And uh, I, I do love me some Thanksgiving, as you know. Are you on the hook for anything cooking? I am cooking most of the meal. Right, great. And then people will bring sides. Whoa, you're in so, charge of the bird. Well, the bird, yes, I am in charge of the bird again this year, which I, I do like being in charge of the bird. Yeah. This year, I think I might try to surprise people. Yeah. Like they, they'll see me purchase a bird, and then. I'll pull out like steaks. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be like the best Thanksgiving yeah. ever. Guys, this turkey is so good. It's <laughs> medium rare. Delicious. And it only took me 45 minutes to prepare instead of nine <laughs> hours. And you'll enjoy it more. I don't know. Like does mashed potatoes and gravy go well with <laughs> sirloin? You know. Because you have a theory about I, this. Oh, you have a theory. Every right? year. Every year. On the weekly we talk about this. <laughs> every year. You love it. Oh man, I love my I love my sister in law who for years has cooked turkey. Okay, I have to say that on record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that on record. Okay, I do. But gosh darn it, a good steak on, yeah. on a Thursday afternoon with mashed potatoes and homemade rolls and pumpkin pie can't beat it. Can't yeah. I guess we'll see. There's a bargain bin of meat. Okay. At King Supers. Yes, there is. I often shop at the bargain bin. Yes. Because it's like the deal of the day. Right. I think things are expiring. I don't know how it works. Yeah. But the occasionally puts it out. you hit like like a prime rib roast or something. Yeah. If I see one of those between now and Thanksgiving, it might we might not be having turkey. <laughs> Man, that's so great. There's some other options people are probably screaming at the radio right now. Saying, You got ham, you can do ham. It's ham Christmas. is for Christmas. Absolutely, it's for Christmas. Ham is for Christmas and Easter. <laughs> do you do ham at Easter? Traditionally, I, that's what I remember as a kid. I don't remember it too much. Okay. I think, I mean, we've traditionally done, right. I don't know, probably ham. But I think now that I ha- have like turkey for Thanksgiving, ham for Christmas, it's time to really dial in the lamb. Ooh. Don't you think? You know, everywhere else in the world, lamb is cheap. Except America. Oh my gosh, that's the problem, right? It's, it's like, like crazy. How much did you want for that? Yeah, no doubt. I have some friends who actually raise sheep, and they actually butcher them, 
And it's actually cheaper that way. Maybe you need a, a sheep on your artificial turf <laughs> grass. <laughs> See how I, that goes. <laughs> I, did, I did take all my grass out over the summer. Yes, you did. And I have a small backyard, so it's not very big. But yeah. I put the turf in. Yeah. And my brain didn't know what to do today. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. I, was making, I was making breakfast with the kids, and I'm looking out, and it's like the leaves had fallen on yeah. it. And there was like snow melting and then this bright green grass. <laughs> and my brain was like, what? What is happening out there? And I was like, oh, yeah. I put turf down. This is awesome. That's great. It's not muddy. You're going to go vacuum up the leaves today? I don't know. I, How are you going to get the leaves off the turf? I think the leaf blower. Oh, you blow them? I'm going to blow them. I'm going to blow them in my neighbor's yard. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Sucker. I'll do it while they're at work. Yeah, like, so. no one will see it except the ring doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, everybody has a, has a ring doorbell. Yeah, totally. do you have a ring doorbell? No, I do not, but yeah. I do have the other version of it. But you have like a version yes. of a doorbell that yes. has a camera? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're one of the few on your block that do not have one. Yeah. I've noticed it before. I, actually, I notice when people have a normal doorbell now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Do you feel like I sh- I could rob them? <laughs> no, I feel Easy like pickings? I feel like oh, the nineties called. They want their doorbell back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we have lost hey. all viewership. <laughs> all viewership is gone. But we, we've had a great time. We've had we've enjoyed ourselves. Hey, we're talking about actually coming into Thanksgiving, and we are finishing out Luke. This is the the last week. We got one more week. We got Luke 14 this next week, and then we pause to remember Advent, which is simply the arrival. It's an ancient word, meaning arrival for uh, Jesus Christ over Christmas season. Yeah. So next week, are are we starting the Advent version of this podcast? Yeah, totally. Well, we will, yeah, we'll, actually, we'll finish out Luke 14. We will? Next week? Next yeah. week? yeah. Okay. If, if someone's around to... Record the Thanksgiving week with me. I'll, I'll be here. Great. It might be us again. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's been a, such a journey. We're 14 chapters, almost 14 chapters into the Gospel of Luke. We got 28 there. So, halfway. Uh, yeah, there are. We're halfway. Yes, there are 28 chapters in Luke. Yes. Right? Yeah, there's 27. There's 27? No, there's 28. Luke 28. Oh, my gosh. This is awkward. 24. My gosh. Jay's yeah. losing his mind. I, I, we got 10 chapters left. Sorry. Like, Dude, you're, you're messing with me. Acts. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew, no, Matthew has 28. Matthew has 28. Yeah. That's where I'm getting it. Okay. So we got 24 chapters in Luke. Yeah. I knew when I said that, you're like, well. <laughs> maybe you have four extra chapters. Maybe I do. It doesn't matter. We got 10 chapters to go in Luke. Yeah. And I'll start. So we're going to take a pause. Yes. For Christmas. Yes. And then pick up Luke in January. That is great. So after 14 chapters of Luke, what has surprised you in our study and our journey through Luke? Hmm. What has surprised me? I, th- I think... It regularly, I don't know if it surprises me, but it woos me to be around the life of Jesus. Mm. Like, 
thinking about all these episodes that we've taught on mm-hmm. and all these ones that we've skipped over. We've left behind a lot of great stories. Oh my stories. goodness, where Jesus is just interacting with real human beings going through real life. Like this, this past week, Pastor John and Boulder preached on his interaction with the woman mm-hmm. in Luke 13. Yeah. And well, disabling spirits. Yeah. And see, it's just like, okay, Jesus is in the room. He sees her and draws her to himself and brings healing. Yeah. It's like, what a heart. If, I mean, if that's who God is. This is amazing. If that's who God is, like, you know, right. Hebrews 1, in many days long ago, he's got has spoken to us through the prophets, right? But now he has spoken to us through his son. And Jesus is the exact same as the Father. Right. It's exactly what God wanted to show us of yeah. who he was. And you just get this, you get this small episode of Jesus at a dinner party, mm-hmm. and he takes notice of a woman who's in incredible pain, brings, him to, brings her to himself, mm-hmm. and heals her. And transforms her life forever. Yeah. It's like, man, is God, can he really be that good? Mm-hmm. He's that good. And then there's just dozens more episodes. Yeah. Where he is that good. So it's it's sort of the, just the overwhelming presence of what and who Jesus is. Yeah. That's really surprised you. I think, uh, yeah, it's always enjoyable. It's always really enjoyable. I think that's why I want to continue to follow him all the days of my life. It's like yeah. I want I want more of him in my life. Yeah, it's in the Chronicles of Narnia that, that Lucy sees that he's gotten bigger. Yeah. And it's actually he looks the same to normal people, but to her he's bigger. His mane has gotten bigger. And that's what's going on right there, man. Yeah. It's really good. How about you? What I mean really good. I know you're also doing Matthew at the same time with your men's group, right? No, you're doing the, the Chronicle. Yeah, the, the harmonies. Yeah, the chronology of Jesus. I think in Luke, the theme for me is the fluctuation between Jesus having to say, and this is where we're at in Luke anyway. He says the hard things. Yeah. But he follows them up in action of love. Does that make sense? So he's like, he, if he's the representative of the Father, he's the exact representation of what who God is. He has this dual thing of truth and love, justice and love. They're they're both in there, and they're both the full expression and the right definition of both. They're not one's harsher than the other or one's less than the other. And I think that's what's caught me in Luke is Luke is making sure we know the truth, like some of the hard things that Jesus has to tell us like the cost of a disciple, especially in the last half. But in the first half, it was the same too. Like Jesus is telling the truth over many different things, like uh, the sermon on the plane, like you want to call it. Or he tells them, you know, about calling the 12 disciples. Like he just tells you the truth. Mm -hmm. But it's always an action of love. It's always done out of this deep abiding love of the individual. Does that make sense? And you just see it in Luke, yeah, in these ways because we're going through it for so many weeks. I think, what, yeah, I think on that thread, what I really appreciate about his hard sayings mm-hmm. is his clarity. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, think about today's world. Like, I we are marketed to right 
Right. And the whole thing is almost to disguise how disappointing this gift is going to be after you buy it. Oh, that so is like a very true statement. Oversell, under-deliver, almost on everything I have. Yeah. And Jesus like, I, I have no desire for you to follow me and think that I'm something that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Or think that I'm calling you to something that I'm not. Or think I'm calling you to too little. Or think I'm calling you to too much. And so right. I'm going to continue to bring clarity of who I am and what it means to come after me, both in its goodness and beauty, and it's in, and it's in like, its cost. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I look at it and think, gosh, it's so good. Anytime someone, anytime the crowds get big and we're susceptible to, okay, here's a movement that you just get carried along in, Jesus brings clarity, which is usually through a hard teaching. Right. Anytime people have misconceptions of them, usually has a very hard teaching, which brings clarity. And I think people, I think Jesus really wants you to come after him with eyes wide open. Yeah. And also, I think it's also done out of your life is always better with real truth, with with mm-hmm. truth in it. And he knows that. So that needs to be as clear as possible yeah. because that's where life exists in truth. And so in our day and age, we try to hide the truth in sort of to live in a somewhat relative, easy or comfortable manner when the truth is actually what's actually life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like I get that sense in Luke as well. You know, the funny thing is, is um, the stories of Luke don't seem personal to me because I think he's just recording an eyewitness. I, I'm, I'm struck by that. In John, we have very personal stories of Jesus. And Luke, I'm actually seeing his way in which he was uh, a documenter of history, a historian and it has that theme. There's not. There's a level of intimacy in which Mark and John write about because, and even Matthew later in Matthew, because they were there. And Luke actually were actually seeing his historical account somewhat that I think I didn't expect mm-hmm. to see or didn't know to see in previous readings. Yeah, because we've been there so long. Okay, so there's real life here in chapter 13. There's a real hard situation, right? There's, it seems like, it seems like popular media or whatever has kind of carried the, the news around right. of a couple tragedies yeah. that everybody's talking about. There's, that's right. And Jerusalem is one of the epicenters of tragedies because of the highly dense population it was. And it was one of the parts of the world that had a lot of travelers and a lot of um, cultures visit it based upon its geographic location and importance and then news travels in the first century in some unique ways right mm-hmm. by word of mouth by by commerce by commerce yeah and ships yeah and roman roads right so what happened in luke 13 to sort of set the context well in the text that we looked at in erie was kind of two situations that People experienced suffering. One was Pilate, who has political ambitions, and it's assumed that those who he put to death, he put them to death during Passover, right? Eliminating potential threats. Maybe the year that Jesus was actually out of Jerusalem for Passover could be, maybe. And then Jesus highlights another episode that probably people are talking about, which is there was probably a tower by the Pool of Siloam that collapsed, yeah. And took some people's lives. You can actually Google that tower. 
if you Google that tower and t- pull us along, there's really good images to sort of give you a landscape of actually the temple and what was in Herod's temple. Yeah. Because it was different than David's temple. Yep. There was additions, obviously political affiliation, and money to quelch uh, rebellion helps. And so Herod's temple was really starting to become magnificent. But there was a structural issue with the tower that fell. Yeah, and, and whenever tragedies happen, we were saying, you know, there's a one-word question that everybody asks, yep. which is why. Why did God allow it? Oh, why did this happen? Yeah. yeah. And, and Jesus takes that, I think, heartache, that real heartache, mm-hmm. and directs it to people who, whose lives are not experiencing the towers falling on them. It's the questions um, about, okay, so do you think you are better or worse than these people who tragedy fell on? Yeah. And it's so easy to think of ourselves as better than those who are going through tragedy. Right. Because we weren't at that downtown club at two in the morning. Uh, yeah. People, yeah. People make bad decisions and bad things happen to people who make bad decisions. Right. You know, that's, that's kind of the rationale. Or they were speeding and texting at the same time. Yeah. Or someone was doing that and then it impacted my life, you know? Yep. So there's evil in the world. And Jesus is just saying, hey, you're actually in the same boat. Mm. He means like, you're no better than them. They're no worse than you. You both are in the predicament of needing to be saved. Yeah. And I think that the whole piece here that Jesus is really going after is you actually might be in the most dangerous place spiritually where there isn't tragedy in your life and it's easy for you to drift from the Lord and recognize your need. Yeah. You're in the most dangerous place when everything's going your way. Yeah. Now you've got to unpack that because you know, we could be in seasons, listeners could be in seasons where things are going their way. And they're like, uh oh, why would this be a bad season for me? This is a good season. Yeah. Uh, absence I, of suffering. I know. And it's like in that honestly is hardest for me to stay connected because I there's a natural drift that happens of just like, okay, I'm in comfort, I'm in complacency. I'm you know, when you are in a season of discomfort, let's call it that, either yep. through tragedy, hardship. Um, things just aren't working out the way you want it to work out. Yep. But you're you're aware of pain, and pain leads you to do something. And for for us who follow the Lord, I think it leads us to pray and seek Him and petition Him and cry out to Him and and meet with people and tell them like we're in pain and like there's so much activity around it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in comfort, you're almost like lulled to sleep. You know, you are lulled to sleep. Yeah, you're just in danger of it. And so I think w- what's happening here is okay. You're not better than these people, and you need to repent. And we talked about the idea of repentance isn't just, you know, emotional sorrow, mm-hmm. which, you know, it contains that. But repentance is the returning to the Lord. Yeah. And oftentimes we think, why wait, Why would I need to repent if life's going so well? Like, what would I turn from? And you're just saying that's the problem is you're pursuing maybe yourself, maybe the idols, maybe you've fallen in love with the world. And that's recaptured your heart, and so you've actually strayed. And so you need to repent too and right. return to the Lord. You know, I was just, I was listening actually to David's life, and the time in which he felt the most, he was lulled to sleep in comfort. And the when normally kings go off to war, he didn't have to. His army was great enough. His leaders were well equipped enough that he could stay back in Jerusalem. And Bathsheba happened. <laughs> yeah, it's bad news, right? Right. So I think the pot, like we talked about this last week, just in our midweek update, when things 
when we recognize that things are going well, the way we keep our hearts attached to the Lord is is gratitude. Right. And even, I mean, I would I would extend that into seasons of hardship too. Like just yeah. a posture of gratitude is a wonderful thing. And it can characterize us when we are in want and when we are satisfied to say, thank you, Lord. And then I think in, in this particular sense, whether towers are falling in your life or not, Jesus is saying, it's time to repent. Yeah. It's going to come to me, return to me. Both need to do it. Yeah. And we had mentioned, if you, if you were on one of the other campuses, maybe not here on Sunday, we mentioned the 95 Theses of Martin Luther. And Luther's trying to reform the, the Catholic Church. He doesn't want to depart from it. He really wants it to be reformed. And so he, you know, he writes these 95 statements, and he posts it on the door of Wittenberg. And the very first one is about repentance, is when the Lord says repent, he means the whole of the Christian life. Yeah. And we tied that to the Lord's Prayer about we pray for our daily bread. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts or trespasses as we forgive, you know, those who trespass against us. And it's like in the same breath that I'm praying for daily bread, I'm praying for daily repentance. Mm -hmm. And so I think Luther is right, is whether life is filled with sorrow and suffering, come to the Lord. And if it's filled with goodness and pleasure, um, come to the Lord. Okay. The whole of the Christian life is that we are really good at repenting. So... How do we become better at repenting? Well, what do you think? I mean, here's a question. We, we oh. do a lot of like, you know, conversations with people, men, women, marriages. Yeah. What do you think keeps people from repentance? Um, gosh, what keeps uh, self-independence, self-sufficiency? So they've lived in a life or have had a story in which their perceived self-sufficiency has kept them from tragedy mm-hmm. and that system has failed or those who maybe like um, who have depended upon their beauty or their attractiveness to get things out of life and they've always gotten it. Now their beauty is fading and you know, I mean, that doesn't answer your question as much, but those are the people that are really don't repent very well. It's when your self-sufficiency, beauty, wealth. um, Yeah. Those type of people. Yeah, I think in my own life, I think that's true, is when I'm most self-satisfied, it's hard, it's hard for me to have a spirit of repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, because repenting is, is turning away from something and turning to the Lord. And why would I do that if everything seems to be going just fine? Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's one of the hardest. Actually, if you run into a non-Christian whose life is going really well, it is really hard for them to have any interest in the gospel. Yeah. That's a spiritual thing as well as a, fer- a material thing. Like it's really hard because things are going well. They don't need anything else. Mm-hmm. They got what they want. All right. So being self-satisfied, I think is one. How about, how about pride? Where's, where's pride fall? Like, yeah, dude, definitely. Why, why do, why are we poor at, you know, offering forgiveness to even our, our wives or our, our kids or yeah. friends. Yeah. Some church history has said pride is the root of all sin. I don't, I've always thought about that and thought there's gotta be some others. But if I think about my own life, my own sin, <laughs> pride is the root of all of it. And then it comes back to the curse of the Genesis, right? 
self-sufficiency and pride are what make us human and it keeps us alive and i think some of that is you're protected early on by things that we do and then later in life it's hard to unhook from those things Mm -hmm. when you know that you're actually not perfect or not even halfway complete or further than you thought you were i think pride is this sort of ingrained in us does that make sense yeah, I think, I think repentance is a humbling thing. Yeah. And especially if, you, if you're going to truly repent and come to the Lord, that has, that, that's a vertical relationship. Yeah. That's going to have horizontal implications. Right. Right. So you think of like Zacchaeus. He comes to the Lord, and that has a horizontal implication of how he has to get right with people that he has robbed. Right. And so sometimes, like, I mean, I don't want to go back to the Lord because that means I'm going to have to also get right with past relationships, my current relationships. I have to admit my faults publicly with other people yeah and I have that's to say humbling. out loud i have to say out loud my yeah wounds yeah things that i've done or caused hurts but, i don't know i think this is actually where i i have noticed the the biggest hurdle right now in some people's marriages mm. is the lack of just humility to return to the lord and then their spouse yeah and just be like i'm sorry you know it's never it's never been easy. It's actually really hard, so I'm not going to lie to you. But if I think about my own life, the quicker I am to repent, the better it goes for me. <laughs> the, the quicker I am to say, I'm sorry, I failed, that was my bad, mm-hmm. to take the owner of whatever I did, it goes, it's sort of like the Band-Aid. I have kids who are in the stage where band-aids are really hard to rip off. Mm-hmm. Like, they're really painful. It's an existential crisis <laughs> of misery and howls when a band-aid comes off. But we know as we get older, the faster we rip it off, the better it is for us, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a point where you sometimes you don't even fight it and you let them wear the band-aid for four days. And then there's like a, a black ring <laughs> developing around it, you know? you're like, the tub hasn't gotten this off in two days, you know? Water has not. And you have to pull off. It's miserable. It's the. It's like, you should have taken that off the day of. Mm-hmm. It would have gone better for you. Yeah. And repentance is sort of that way. The quicker you repent, the better it goes for me. This is a practical. That's good. Yeah. So, okay, maybe another way that keeps us from repenting or keeping the Band-Aid on longer than we should, I think is fear of how our repentance is received, oh, especially yeah. with somebody that is not good at receiving confessions, yeah. right? Oh, gosh, yeah. So, you know, maybe you don't want to repent to your spouse because you're like, oh, that's just the worst because they just they just beat me over the head with it. Yep. They make me feel so small for a long time. And they use it as ammunition for future, yeah. future fights. Yeah. But that shouldn't keep us from the Lord. Yeah. What comes to mind when you think of penitent sinners returning to the Lord? Okay. This is a little, this is a long setup, but um, years ago I was asked to write a devotional for Denver Seminary staff for their yearly retreat, and I wrote a story about a guy who woke up every day and he walked the same blocks and saw the same shop windows and got to the same corner and put put up the orange crate and got up there, opened his Bible and started to say repent. He was a street preacher, repenter. 
And I use the metaphor as that's what I need to be doing every morning to myself. I'm the guy who has to get up and go and remind myself to repent. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite pieces of I've ever written. I, I don't. I think about it all the time, and I think that's such a humbling practice to wake up every morning and say, "Lord, first and foremost, I'm grateful. I'm up. I'm awake. You sustain me." That's what the psalmist David says. You, I went to bed in fear and I woke up in safety. That's like how awesome is that? And the second thing is like, all right, Lord. I know I failed. I know sometimes where I fail and a lot of times where I don't. Mm -hmm. But help me repent and preach the gospel to ourselves every day. There's grace every day. There's repenting every day. You're like, that sounds really harsh. But like, you know what the street preacher, we fault street preachers a lot. You know what we can't fault them with? Clarity. (laughs) (laughs) Truth. You know? Yeah, maybe verbally. Verbally. It's a little, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think that's that's good. (laughs) You know where he stands. You know where he stands. You know? Yeah. The image that, you know, Jesus goes to, that parable that we talked about, is, okay, this this fig tree, which is a picture of the people of God, and the owner of the vineyard, like, this fig tree doesn't produce any fruit. Yeah. The fruit being repentance. Like, there's no repentance found in this tree, which is a picture of Israel and not coming to the Lord. Like Jesus is saying, I've, I've arrived and there's no fruit. Yeah. But the gardener, who's Jesus, says, give me time. Like, give me time to bring it nourishment and fertilize it. And I'm going to do everything I possibly can in kindness, um, in my work, in my pruning. And I will do everything to see if this fruit, if this tree can produce repentance. So it's on the onerous of repentance is on Jesus as well. I think he's working we're not on alone. Yeah. I think we're responding to to what he's bringing to our life. The invitations he brings to our life. Well, it's like the towers fall. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, hey, you know what? That That's catastrophic. We should turn to the Lord. Right. And then Jesus is saying, and just because life is going really, really well, doesn't mean you're in any better position or in any lesser need to return to the Lord. Right. And so all of life, towers falling, towers standing, turn to the Lord. And yeah. so maybe the blessings in your life are the water and the fertilizer. Like Paul says, it is, do not mistake, it is his kindness that leads you to repentance. So like, yeah. if, you, if, if any of us sense the inklings of the Lord, man, he is being so good to us, give, give thanks yeah. and return to him if I've strayed. Totally. And this is the great week to sort of head into thinking about those things. I just like that he talks about repentance as a fruit. Mm-hmm. Like that means it's not bitter. Yeah. Right? There, there's, it's sweet. Mm-hmm. It's life-giving. It's nourishing. It's desirable. I'd much re- rather eat it than a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> and figs, I mean, I don't know if people have had figs. They're so good. They are, a real fig is really good. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. And so... A Turkish fig is amazing. Yeah, he doesn't talk about the root of, of, of repentance. like The fruit of it. Right. Like, look at, look at this that's in someone's life. Um, and I think that's where you got to get out of your head. Oh, man, it's, it's this drudge. Yeah. And I got to really belittle myself and hate myself. Like, not no, at all. Return to the Lord. He he loves to receive yeah. repentant sinners. Yes. Like loves it. He loves, yep, that's right. And when, you know, when we see the repentance as something of self-loathing, it's not that. It's actually putting in proportion God's amazing work in our life. Mm-hmm. 
which don't get me wrong. Place. Like when I when I have done some things that are wrong, I can't help but feel the weight of it. You know, right? There's really sorrow, but in repentance, he doesn't shame me and guilt me and condemn me. Mm-hmm. He's there to receive that and then cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Yeah. That's his work. So, in order to get rid of the guilt, I go to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? It's amazing. It's just like, okay, so that's what's driving me. is He's going to take all of this away. That's why I want to be there. And I think when I see people that just do, that, that lack the spirit of, of repentance, returning to the Lord, yeah, they're lacking, I think, the, the actual joy and delight, the fruit that God wants to have, you know, experience in their life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Man, the psalmist says, creating me, oh God, a clean heart. The joy of salvation, don't not. This is amazing. It's amazing stuff. All right. Thanks, Thomas. You bet. I think you summed it up for us. I don't know. So, so next week, this, this is perfect. Next week is prime for Thanksgiving because the whole text in 14 is about Jesus at a dinner party. Ooh, I love when Jesus eats. Yeah, he's eating and he's talking. And so if you're looking for like conversational tips of how to talk to members of your family or friends around the Thanksgiving table, Luke 14. I don't know if that's sarcasm or not. No, it's real. It's real. I don't know. Though. We'll unpack it. All right. Read Luke 14. See if Thomas is sarcastic or not because I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't read them right now. Hey, Calvary, we're just so thankful you're listening today. We hope that you have a great week. If you're on the road, you're listening to this next week on Thanksgiving, we're just so thankful for you. If you're listening this week, we're so thankful for you. We continue to pray for you. You can always reach out. Go to calvarybible.com. Click your campus. Let us know if there's something we can be praying for you about. Let us know you're listening as well by always writing the weekly at calvarybible.com. And for my mom, if I said anything wrong today, I repent. Love you, mom. Love you, Calvary. <laughs>